you are officially live beautiful at the dining room studio and as far as going to colorado what are you going to compete in individually i'm going to compete in five different events so the five events that i'm going to compete in individually and this is what a lot of my students are going to do as well is so we do a traditional forms competition so forms is like you know it's your set pattern of all the techniques you know depending on what what rank you are depends on the form that you do and then you know you just get judged on how good it is that you did it correct like the flow i mean you just get judged on the entire thing so i'm going to do that then the same concept with weapons so there's weapons forms so I'll do a form with a, I compete with the bow staff. So I'll do that. And then uh, three fighting events. There's a screamus fighting, which is single hand short stick fighting. Then there's what's classified as sword sparring, which is like, you know, it's a longer weapon. It's considered a sword. It's double hand. So a screamer, you have to keep one hand on sword. You have to keep two hand on. And there's a long list of different rules for each on how you score and what classifies as a strike and what doesn't. And then the final event will just be like the traditional like hand-to-hand sparring. So wow. it, it's a it's a more of a traditional point sparring type thing. So you know you're not going for like knockouts and bloods and cuts. It's more of a traditional taekwondo uh, like sport fighting type thing. So you're gonna have a big day. Is yeah. that all gonna be in a weekend? Probably. It's all on Saturday. Oh. Yeah, it'll all happen all in one day, and that's just the individual. And then at the end of the day, they finish with team sparring. So. Wow. Um, so there's different age divisions and, uh, for team, you've got to be like a higher rank, a black belt, but teams, you can, uh, you form teams of traditionally they're one female, two males, female fights, each other, the females fight each other, the two males fight each other. Um, and then it's cumulative points. So, you know, if one fighter wins by one, one fighter wins by one, but then one fighter loses by four, yeah. your team lost. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's cumulative. So we've got eight teams that are going to be fighting. I'm fighting on two of them and coaching the other six. So. Right. So, and as far as form goes, we'll start at the first event. Form, I'm imagining Cobra Kai. Yeah, I mean a little bit. So form, it's obviously it's an individual event. Like I said, just depending on what you go. So like, my form is 95 moves. So I go through. I have like a beginning position. I go through. You know, there's different stances and kicks and strikes. And like I said, the form is set. So you're being judged on a you know you know that you didn't make any mistakes that you did the form correctly. But then it's also then you're also being judged on the you know, how good are your techniques? How good are your kicks? How good are your strikes? You know, the application, if it's supposed to be a technique that's, you know, high, if it's a block that's designed to block your head, are you actually clearing your head or are you, you know, Mm -hmm. doing it down by your waist? So there's also like the application concept of it as well. Yeah. So when you're practicing form, you essentially have a routine. You said 95 moves. So you go from move one and all the way to 95. Yeah. I mean, obviously for conditioning purposes, you definitely want to do full form run throughs. Um, but you know, it's also, we, you know, it's also very important to make sure you're breaking it up and working the combos so that you, you can kind of get like, for lack of a better way to put it like a roller coaster concept, because your form should not be monotone. So when I've got 95 moves, it shouldn't be one, two, three, you know, there's combos. So it might be one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, because every form essentially is like, you know, it's a self-defense setup. It's a movie scene, whatever you want to call it, whatever you want, however you want to imagine in your head. But you know, when you're doing a combo of a form, there is application of what it is that you're supposed to be doing. So you have those mini fight scenes. So, you know, if you have a form that's very monotone, that traditionally that doesn't actually score as well because you're not showing the application of what it is that you're supposed to be doing with the moves. Mm. So breaking down those combos and breaking down those applications and those many fights within the form is also like really important. So you understand the form. Um, cause you know, it's, it's like saying, Hey, it goes one, two, three. Cool. Well, why does it go one, two, three? So understanding that why, and then putting all nine of it, 95 of it together so that you have this full picture, you have this full, movie scene whatever you want to call it so and then your weapons is the your weapons forms is the exact same way you're just doing it with the weapon you know whether that's an escrima stick whether it's a a gumdo whether that's a bow staff a nunchuck whatever weapon you happen to pick or choose there's a weapons form that does all of those exact same things so you said the weapon you're going to be using is a bow staff correct yeah yeah i i mean i teach them all and things like that and i i i for fun, I will mix it up and just compete with different things. So like the last tournament I went and competed with, I did the nunchucks. Um, a, because I wanted to do something different, but also B, because the last tournament I went to, I flew. And it's a lot easier to fly a pair of nunchucks than it is to fly a six-foot bow staff. Do you have to check nunchucks? <laughs> no. Because when when you're competing, they are 
they're like safety or they're like safety weapons. So they're not going to be like hard metal or anything like that. Cause you want to be able to show and demonstrate what you're doing. But it, you know, obviously the purpose is not for you to hurt yourself. <laughs> right. So like the, the, the competition nunchucks, they're, they're like a, they're a real firm, like foam. So, so those are kind of what you use for competition. And then, you know, when you're training, you have those for application or you have those for practicing, but then for like application, we have wooden ones and we have uh, metal ones that you can use that are a little bit more like live action type thing. Same thing with your bow staffs, same thing with the scream of sticks, things like that. We've got multiple sides of the weapons of more realistic application hitting and then like training side of like, Hey, we can still do all these things, but you know, if we're swinging at each other, at least there's padded. So if something goes wrong, yeah, you know, you're not getting completely smacked upside the head. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and then what's a scream of stick? Uh, so a scream of stick is, is a 22 inch piece of essentially a piece of wood or a foam stick. So it literally looks like a little bat. So it's just, it's just an, it's called an scream of stick. And it's, Similar to a bow staff, just shorter. Correct. Okay. Yeah. And where did all of this come from? Bow staff, scream of stake, nunchucks. So, all, I mean, for the most part, I can't say all because some of the weapons have just been designed to be martial arts style weapons. But most of the weapons are traditional from, you know, way, way, way back when, you know, martial arts was started. It was, you know, bow staff was a broomstick. It was, a, hey, this is a large stick that I can train and learn and use how to do, you know. And a scream of stick was, you know, like the bat type thing that was used for, you know, beating hay and things like that, you know. So not to be cliche, but it's like they're like they're all like essentially like farm tools and hand tools and things mm -hmm. like that that were like that were kind of turned into weapons, essentially, you know. So there's one that's called a it's called a comma. Um, and I mean, it's literally it's a 12 inch handle with a hook on it. And, you know, the that that weapon was designed off of the tool that was used to cut the wheat and cut the weeds on, on the farm when, you know, you were harvesting crops and things like that way back in the day. Mm. And it was turned into a weapon. So that's actually a weapon that we teach to some of our higher level students. And there's forms that go along with that. And there's blocking and hooking and slicing and stabbing. And yeah, it's pretty crazy. That's intense. Do you feel confident with the nunchucks if you needed to defend yourself? I mean, yes. Uh, I, I mean, I tell my students, nunchucks is one of the most popular. And, yeah. you know, and if you know how to use them, like I, everybody has seen the videos of Bruce Lee right. doing their thing. And, you know, there's that little kid that wore like the, the yellow jumpsuit that went super viral, like, uh, you know, imitating that classic Bruce Lee video. Like, I mean, yeah, if you know what you're doing, obviously it can it can be a great weapon, but it's not the most practical because, you know, you and I, we live here in Lawrence. So we're walking down on Mass Street, you know, you get into a situation what on the street are you going to pick up that's going to replicate a pair of nunchucks? Right. <laughs> Unless you're randomly carrying them with you because you're that dedicated. But, you know, an Escrima stick, that's that's a stick. You know, you could, you could get that off of a tree. You could pick that up off the ground, a bow staff. So we definitely teach them all. Like, nunchucks is one of the best things for, like, coordination because you do have that string or that chain that's holding those two pieces. So as much as you have complete control over one side, if you're not doing it right, you don't have complete control of the other side where those other ones that are that are, you know, more solid weapons, you have more control, but those are the application of it as well. You know, like the kids always love the nunchucks. It's always their favorite things like that. And it's funny because the adults like the scream of stick because they're like, oh no, this is practical. I can see this. Like I can see me doing this mm -hmm. with this. And I'm like, yeah. yeah. So, you know, just like everything else that you have in the martial arts world, it's, you know, you have the stuff that has the great application. You have the stuff that's designed to, you know, build you in this way or that way or things like that. And, you know, you have the thing that you have the stuff that sometimes you just enjoy more, even if it's not, you know, using my air quotes as practical right. type of thing. Yeah. But, that, I'm but I mean, you do, you train something for 20 years, you're going to feel pretty comfortable with it no matter what. So that's true. Was there nunchucks in Napoleon Dynamite? Did you ever watch? Napoleon oh Dynamite? my God. I did, but it's been so long. I, besides asking for tater tots, I don't know that I could, ask, I could quote a whole lot more about that movie. <laughs> vote for Pedro. I got that too. Yeah. Vote for Pedro. <laughs> so, Tell me about the first time you walked into a dojo. So my kind of my backstory. So my uh, my stepdad, when I was when I was super young, um, he was always messing around with martial arts because he trained it back in the 80s. You know, so he trained with his oldest son and, you know, they both had they both had trained together. So they had their uniforms and they would mess around in the backyard and they would do things together. And, you know, when I was three, four years old, like that was something I looked at and I was like, ooh, ooh, ooh. So for, you know, a couple of years, I would mess around and do like backyard training with them. And, you know, he, he taught me how to do a proper, like, you know, punch and how to do a proper kick and, you know, just basic things because I would mess around with them. And it was always something that I wanted to do. 
Um, but when I was a kid, I was kind of I was kind of that classic kid. I wanted to do everything, but then when it came to it, I was like, mm, actually, no, never mind. So my mom was always like hesitant on actually starting me. Um, so it was something I wanted to do, and then I had a really good friend of mine in elementary school that started uh, Taekwondo. And he, this is back when I lived in Salina. So he started. And when he started, the, the instructor there gave him a buddy pass and was like, Hey, invite a buddy to come start classes with you, you know, great marketing tool. Mm -hmm. Um, and he immediately gave it to me and I was like, Oh my gosh, I have to do this. So, uh, at that point, my mom kind of caved and was like, all right, we'll go do this little trial thing. Um, and then I begged and begged and begged and she, she finally bit the bullet and was like, all right, cool. I'm going to sign you up for this. And basically, I mean, the rest is history from there. Wow. So, so you're in elementary school. Yep. From a buddy pass, you show up for the first time. Do you recall enjoying it immediately? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I knew I, uh, I knew I was hooked from like the get go. What was it? I, you know, I don't know. I think it was just something that because it had been kind of in my face for so long, mm -hmm. that was for me, it was like, well, that's what I've got to do. You know, like I didn't have. I've always enjoyed sports. I've always enjoyed watching and things like that. But, you know, I wasn't the kid at four years old that was like, I have to play basketball. And don't get me wrong. I, you know, I played football and basketball in middle school and high school, and I loved those sports. Um, and, you know, I felt like I was actually pretty good at them. But even in the back of my head, like I always knew that like those weren't my thing. So I think it was just something that was just kind of like, you know, martial arts was a normalized thing for me. I saw it on a regular basis because I saw those two messing around. They, they would watch like the old school movies. So that was something, like I said, I think the best way to put it, that was normalized for me where a lot of people know about martial arts, but it's not something you see on a daily. So it's kind of like this like unknown world where for me, I was relatively familiar with it. So once I actually finally got to do it and I got a uniform and I got my white belt, I was like, yeah, here we go. Okay. It was normal to you. You saw yeah. people around you do it. And you get your white belt. Does that take a while to get a white belt? Or is No, that traditionally white belt. I mean, every every place is a little bit different. Like, I mean, you usually, like with us at the school that I run, like you do have to earn it, but the step is super easy. So you're getting your white belt within your first like two classes, you know, because that's, that's, that's the base. That's the solid, you know, white belt literally stands for, you know, you know, the purity of martial arts, not knowing anything, you know, and you know, it's actually kind of funny because like, you know, the belt, everybody's like, oh, the belt's just to represent how far you are. Well, no, just like everything else, the belt has representation of when martial arts first started, you know, before they had uniforms and geese and, you know, before it was, you know, I guess you could say modernized or whatever, the belt was literally a rope that was just there to keep your pants up. Right. But the rope was white. Mm. And after time... You got a little bit of dirt on there. You got a little bit of grass stains in there. You probably had some sweat and some blood in there. So you add hints of the green, which is why there's a green belt. You add hints of, you know, the blood, which is, you know, why there's like the orange and the red and, and the yellows. And you had the brown, which is why you get the hints of the brown or you had, which is why you have like brown belts and things like that. So all of the traditional colors that you see, like when you just look at stuff, like you see, oh, they're a yellow belt. Oh, cool. Oh, there's a green belt. Oh, there's a brown those all have traditional meanings, but you know, obviously it was modernized because modernized because as cool as it is to be like, Hey, I got this white belt. My goal is to turn it black because I'm going to get it so dirty. It's kind of gross. <laughs> so now, you know, there's steps where you go through and you can progress through the different belts and things like that. So how long after you get your white belt, are you thinking, Ooh, I want to get my black belt immediately. Oh, I knew immediately. Yeah. There. So it's always funny because, you know, we have this at the school that I run as well. But when I first started, there was this teenager and he was like an assistant instructor. So he wasn't the instructor at the school that I started with, but he was like the assistant. He was kind of the hot shot, but it was perfect because immediately like I saw him and he was the highlighted kid and he helped teach classes and he had, you know, he was a state champion. And immediately I was like, it's weird. I actually remember being not being like, I want to be like him. I want I remember being like, I want to be better than him. Oh, wow. So immediately, like, I was like, okay, what do I got to do to get my orange belt? What do I got to do? So I, I remember I went to my first competition like five weeks after I started because I was like, well, I have to compete to be better than him. He's a state champion. So immediately I had like these things in my mind, you know, at like at 10, 11 years old, I had these things in my mind. I was like, no, well, I, I have to do that so that I can, I can, I can do those things. Wow. And it's, yeah, it's when I think back on it, it's just kind of crazy of like how like immediate it was for me. What are the steps to get the next belt? You know, so every school is every school that you go to, every style that you do is going to be a little bit different. You know, um, 
you know, some like some places have it like very kind of black and white. Like it's, hey, it's here's the things you have to do once you've done them. Boom, you get your next rank. Um, some ranks are easier than others to get, so on and so forth. You know, some places have like, hey, I'm going to teach you all these things, and then you're going to do a testing, and you have to test for your next belt. And if you pass your testing, you get your belt. If you don't, then you wait until the next testing. And then there are some some places and some styles that it's just you just never know. You literally just train and train and train and train and train. And then one day the instructor's like, hey, Billy, come here. I'm going to give you, I'm promoting you to blue belt. And you're just like, what? And you just have no idea. So, you know, everything, everything is a little bit, every place is a little bit different. So like at our studio, ours is based off of like testing, knowing your material, but then it's also based off of attendance. So we want to make sure that not only does somebody know their material, but we want to make sure that people are putting in their time, you know, because you do have those people that are very just that are naturally talented and pick things up. And, you know, you have those people that could potentially learn their material in, you know, five, six classes, but okay. Yeah. You know, your stuff, but you haven't put your time in yet, you know? So with us, we really want to make sure that, the, that we have that blend of you've put in your time, you know, your material and you are, I know it sounds bad, but you're good enough to get this next rank. Like, yeah, if I put, if I tie a blue belt around your waist, it's because what you're doing is the level of a blue belt, you know? So we, we really look at it kind of on an individual scale, but we do have like standards and things. It's like, yes, these are the things you have to do. And then from there it's, do you pass? Do Mm -hmm. you get it? And that's where we get to make that decision. Was that similar to the school that you attended when you grew up? Uh, no, the first school that I started at was they had a testing every eight weeks and you just learned your stuff and then you showed up to testing and you did your thing. So they didn't really track attendance or anything like that. It was simply like, we just trained, there's testing, you go to testing. If you pass, you pass type of thing. So theirs was still built, built on like a timeline. Um, but it wasn't as in depth as like what we have built at the school that I run here in Lawrence. Yeah. That makes sense that you want people to be there though, because even if you have someone who learns everything quickly, that doesn't mean that they're going to be able to retain it later and that they're going to be able to get the benefits of having that community around them to keep that knowledge, but also teach others how to use it in a good manner. Exactly. You know, and it's like, we tell, like, I make this example sometimes to people. It's like, you know, you get somebody that's going to college to be, you know, a brain surgeon. Yeah. They're very intelligent. They pick up quickly, but just because of that, do you want them operating on you when they've been at in school for a year because they learned quick? No, you want somebody that you know is put in their time and things like that. Same thing with us. Like when, when you finally get your black belt, it's because you know that you put in your time, you did what you were supposed to do and you know everything that you're supposed to know at the level that you're supposed to know it. Now you're a kid, you're the whiz kid. You want to be better than the state champ. You start getting belts when do you think I'd like to instruct people on this? So we have an instructor program at our school that you have to go through, you have to be a part of and things like that. And there's different like levels of certifications. So at our school, we'll let you, you know, we'll invite you in because it is an invitational program. We'll invite you in. We'll let you into the program when you get to the rank of brown belt, which is high level color belt. There's only after that, there's only red and then black. So we'll invite you in at that point. You know, if you've shown us what you want, you've shown us the interest, things like that. Um, we'll put you in the program and then you have to be in that program, taking that class, helping, learning all of that kind of stuff until you get your level one through us. And once you get your level one is when you can start assisting with classes. So we actually don't even allow anybody on the floor to actually hands-on assist until they've been in that program and have gotten their level one certification with us. So, um, because, you know, we have a high standard, so we want to make sure that the people on the floor are representing our high standard and we're not just putting everybody out there. It's also, it's for, it's for the students and the parents as well. We want you to know, you know, if, if you have a daughter and you bring her in, we want you to know that if they're on the floor, it's because we valued them and have, and have made the decision to put them on there. And it's not just somebody that's a black belt. It's like, Oh, cool. It's a black belt. No, that black belt has taken that next step of saying, Mm -hmm. I want to take what I do past just me Mm -hmm. type of thing. So we have a whole program built that way to make sure that the people that are out there on the floor for us know what they're doing. We trust them, but they're also the people out there that want to be out there. Makes sense. You have that standard. Yeah. And how'd you know that you wanted to be doing what you do now? How'd you get to the mixed martial arts instruction? So it's, it's really, it's really funny. Um, because I always loved it for myself. I loved training. I loved competing. I wanted my ranks and things like that. And, you know, when I was a, when I was a teenager and things like that, I assisted with classes and I, and I liked it, but it's weird because when I was doing that back in, you know, the early to mid two thousands, 
I enjoyed it, but it wasn't like my thing. You know, I started doing it because it was more of an opportunity for me to be on the floor more. So instead of me saying, hey, I get to be on the floor for five classes a week because those are my classes. Oh, well, now I can help with two. That's seven classes Mm. a week. And, you know, when I was doing it, I was always the kid that was like, no, I'll partner up with them because I get to do the drill. You know, so I was doing it for a more selfish purpose. For more reps. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And it was one of those, like, I always did that, but I... I honestly didn't know that this is, this was my thing and this is what I wanted to do until I fell into it. And it was one of those that just life happens in mysterious ways sometimes. And um, an opportunity uh, presented itself back in 2009. And I was like, you know what? Yeah. Yeah, I'll do that. Cool. I'll come hang out with you guys. You know, I'll make some, I'll spend, I'll make a little bit of spare money on the side. I'll do that. And then one thing grew into another. And next thing I knew about a year later, I was full time and I was helping run a school, uh, you know, as the, at that point I wasn't considered an assisted instructor. I was considered an, a full-time instructor. And, you know, that was back in May of 2010. And one thing's just kind of rolled from there to there, to there, to there, to there. And now here I am. Wow. Yeah. And now tell people what you're doing. So my, my position is classified as was what's called a head instructor. So there's, when it comes to the school that I run, there's only one person like above me. And that's my instructor. Who's the owner of the school and his, his title is chief instructor. So chief instructor essentially is the instructor of the instructors, right? So he, he's the one that, that takes care of me and the rest of the instructors and the assistant instructors. And I mean, he, he gets in there and he still teaches like the white belts, you know, because it's important and he enjoys doing it, but his focus is that head instructor, which is me. My focus is, you know, the student body. So managing the student body, teaching the student body, making sure that like all those standards we were talking about earlier, making sure that, you know, that I'm doing everything in my power to make sure all of those students are checking those boxes, getting what they need, me doing everything in my power for them to be successful. So, and then I have, I have uh, a couple of people with like the title instructor. So they come in and, you know, they, they help lead certain classes and they help do certain things. And then I have assistant instructors who are in that program who just come in and hold pads and take groups and walk around and help. And then I have the students. Wow. Yeah. So I, it, in, in our world, like I said, it's classified as head instructor in more of like a business sense type thing. It would essentially be like the manager mm-hmm. type of thing. So that's, that's what I have kind of grown into. Have you enjoyed being the manager, being the head instructor? I have. It took a little bit of time to make that transition of just focusing on teaching you know, because I did that for years and years and years where, you know, I just went in and I, I just focused on teaching and I would know that, Hey, tonight I'm teaching these two, these three classes, and this is my plan and this is what I'm doing. And, you know, I really enjoyed that. And I still really, really enjoy that. So when I, I did move into this role a couple of years ago, there obviously was transitions and things like that. But now just like, just like when I'm able to find the same amount of joy in what I do now is what I did then, because now Well, with then my joy of teaching came from just strictly like, yeah, the students are getting it where now I still get that joy, but I also get the, like the next level of that where I get to say, Hey, I helped this instructor have those same feelings I had five years ago. So now I'm, I'm helping make sure that this instructor is in the right place. I'm helping them design their class plans. I'm helping them make sure that they're on track with everything. And now I see the joy that they have because you know, their student, which is, they're all our students, but you know, their student in that class understood something they were really struggling with. They finally got that thing that they've been, that they've, you know, not been understanding for, you know, a month. And so now I kind of get like that, you know, it's almost weird. I almost kind of get like that grandpa role of like, you know, I get to see, you know, my kid be successful with their kid. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it took a while. It was weird to make that transition when I first started it, but now I really enjoy it because, you know, it's kind of, I get the kind of the best of both worlds. I still get that, that instructor feel. Cause I'm still teaching on a regular basis. I'm still teaching my black belts. I'm still teaching the color belts. So I get those feels, but now I also get the feeling of helping somebody else be successful as an instructor as well. Yeah. yeah. So it's, it's really cool. You've opened up your abilities a lot. I coached soccer for a summer and one of the coolest things was watching a kid do something that they didn't know how to do before the summer and they pulled it out in a game and it was something I taught them. And I was like, whoa. And that feeling of I'm doing something and their brain's growing and this matters and they're actually applying it is an incredible feeling. Absolutely. Do you see that often as an instructor? Do you have moments that you can recall where someone that you trained did something and you're like, man. Oh yeah, 
Absolutely. And you know, with when you're in a coaching and a teaching and instructing world, I mean, that's honestly, that's what you live for because that ultimately means that their success is growing. Um, and it's kind of funny. So I have, I have kind of this thing with some of my black belt students that, you know, I've been training with us for, you know, four or five, six, seven years. Um, so some of my higher level classes, I have this, it just kind of randomly happened a couple years ago, but I have this thing where when we, somebody has that moment and they're in class, they just openly like, we'll just go, uh, and it's funny cause I'll be in the middle of teaching and somebody will just make that noise and I'll look at them and they'll be like, I don't know what that was it that clicked. I got it. I understand. I, I like, can I practice? Like, I want to put that together. So it's funny because, you know, you have these people that you build this rapport with that you work for work with for years. And so, you know, you start to get them really well, start to get to know them really well, but they also get to know you. And it's funny because like I said, some of those people that have been around for a long time, we've developed this like, oh, and now it's become a thing where like, literally it happened last night. I was teaching a class last night and we were just, we were just working on a transition between a couple of like a kicking combo. And I went over something and I had uh, one of my adults that trained in that class that just stopped and looked at me and went, ah, and I was like, was that it? Is, was that your trick? Was that it? And he's like, I don't know why that made sense. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, it's funny. And I tell people all the time, I'm like, I can say the same thing seven different ways and six of them might not be it for you, but that one was. I'm like, this isn't, and I told him, I was like, it's funny because what I just went over is not something you've never learned before. I just said it differently, mm-hmm. you know? And it's like that classic, like people learn so many different ways. Like you can go over the same thing, but some people to really get it, they need to, they need to, they need to be the action. They need to do it. Some people need to write it down. Some people need a video so they can visually study it. Some people need to say it out loud. You know, there's all these different ways that people learn. And, you know, we learn that when we're in school and things like that, like study habits and you know, it is what it is. But the same thing applies to what I do. Like, you know, when I'm teaching somebody a combo, it's like sometimes some one person just needs to rep it. They just need to watch me do it and rep it and do it over and over and over. And after 10 reps, they're going to physically figure it out. Some people need me to write it down on a whiteboard so they can sit there and stare at it and study it. Some people need to write it down themselves. Mm-hmm. Right. So, and it's just funny. So trying to figure out what all of those tools are that everybody needs and implement them consistently and rotate them through so that everybody's getting that concept. So yeah, it's really cool. And that's got to be one of the hardest parts about the teaching side of the house is you can't see someone when they walk in and immediately know this is a reps person, this is a visual person, this is an audio person. Yeah, you have to learn that yourself as well. So as much as they're learning from you, you have to learn about them so that they can learn from you. Yeah. Yeah. And I tell like, you know, when we're working on our instructor program, we tell that's one of the things we talk about all the time is like you might have a class of 40 people that's a class of 40 individual people. So if you're teaching a curriculum, you might have to teach you, or you have to remember that you're teaching 40 individual people. So yes, I might be teaching a front kick, but I might have to teach it in multiple different ways because I got to make sure that all 40 of them understand. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's a class of individuals. Yeah. I'm fascinated by people's ability to learn and great teachers. They always have so many tools in their toolbox. Their bag is so deep on all of the tricks and methods that they can relay knowledge. Yeah. It's astounding. One of the things that I love about your personal style is you're also really plugged in and engaged with the local community as well. Yeah. So when did that start? So there's a couple of sides to that. I mean, so we've done events for the community. We've done things like this. I mean, since, since day one, you know, that's something that's always been important to us is, you know, of course we love martial arts, but all of us that have taken the step that I have me, my, my instructor, his name is, his name is Jimmy Golden. He's the, the owner of prime. He's my, you know, the one that I go to like, yes, we love martial arts, but we got into the world that we're in because, you know, we, we want to, we want to give that message to as many people as possible. So there's a couple of different avenues in which we do. And, you know, we, of course we do like, we do the, like the St. Patrick's day parade and we do a lot of community events and we do this, but stuff that we do that uh, is more aimed towards like trying to expose as much of the Lawrence community as possible to self-defense and to martial arts and to, you know, just basic knowledge of how to be safe is, you know, for years upon years, we've always worked with daycares and schools, you know, so we go in, we go to daycares, we go to schools, we, you know, at schools we do, 
assemblies or like I was telling you earlier, like, uh, you know, this past week I was at Corpus Christi teaching PE classes, you know, and in that class, you know, I'm teaching them basic martial arts and they're hitting some pads and we're playing games, but, you know, we're also talking about bullies and, you know, of course, relaying the messaging, uh, you know, that, you know, bullying's not okay, but also, you know, what to do if they're in that situation, what to do if you see that situation. Of course, you know, with the kids, we talk about, you know, the classic strangers and what to do. And, you know, we, of course, we always talk about how to use your voice and how to protect yourself. And, you know, one of the big messages that we give is, you know, it's, you know, it's okay to protect yourself, but it's not okay to fight. And, you know, making mm-hmm. them understand the difference between what those two things are. So we've done outreach with daycares and we've done outreach with elementary schools. And, you know, we have some really good connections here in Lawrence. Um, but I, we're coming up on five years, which is crazy. About five years ago, we really, we really kind of exploded into the side of doing like adult self-defense classes in Lawrence as well. Um, we've always done self-defense classes and this is everything that I'm talking about right now. We do for free. So when I go to a daycare and I work with the kids for uh, you know, a couple of hours and they all come in in waves and we talk about things. And when I go to elementary schools and we do assemblies and PE teachers, like we don't charge for these things. Um, this is just part of what we want to do to give to the Lawrence community. But we also, we've always done self-defense seminars. So, you know, we'll, like once a year, we just host like a big free self-defense seminar for the community. I believe it's September. Every September is like realtor safety month. And we've got a couple of realtors here in town that always come to us. And they've every year for like seven years, they set up a self-defense seminar where a bunch of the realtors come in town and we talk to them about basic self-defense. And we also talk to them about, you know, if a lot of times realtors are in houses by themselves, like what to do, what to know, things like that. Uh, we do that. And I mean, so it's a lot of really cool stuff. But like I said, about five years ago, we actually had one of the moms of one of our students got attacked. And so she came to us um, and was like, hey, you know, I've taken care of a lot of stuff. I already talked to police. I've done ABC, XYZ. But what I want to do now is I want to, this is like, obviously this has changed my life. This has affected me. I want to do some self-defense classes for friends, groups, family groups, things like that. And I want to know if you guys would be willing to help. And immediately we were like, yes, what do you need? Let's do this. And this has grown, you know, obviously during COVID, it got a little like during the pandemic and everything, it got a little bit more difficult to be, you know, having groups of people together, but we still, we still, we did self-defense seminars over zoom just to keep spreading the word. But we have since the summer of 2018, we have done, it's like 140 free public self-defense seminars. And they've been as small as 10 and as big as like 300. So, I mean, we've done some huge self-defense seminars and the mom that got, that got attacked in our school, she goes with us and she tells her story. And we have, we have this whole curriculum that we have built around doing these self-defense seminars and 90% of them have been done here in Lawrence. We have, we have gone to Topeka. We have gone out to Kansas city and some, some surrounding areas. Um, like we went down to Baker university and we did a big one for a lot of the student athletes down there. We do them at KU a lot with different like programs, like the business program, the engineering program. We've done them with staff. We do them for a lot of the sororities. Um, and that's something, like I said, so I guess it's been about four and a half years that we started this. And like I said, I, I, I'm probably wrong on this number, um, but I want to say it's like 140 self-defense seminars that we have taught in the Lawrence surrounding areas. And I mean, it's thousands, thousands of people. I'll say people because yes, probably 90% has been a a female attendance, but we, we don't necessarily promote it as like a women's self-defense seminar because self-defense is good for anybody. Mm -hmm. Yes. We understand what the statistics are, but you know self-defense is good for anybody. Men get attacked as well. Like it happens. So these self-defense seminars are open and available for everybody. And we have a curriculum and we have a 1.0 class and a 2.0 class because we've had groups that have contacted us a second time and been like, that was amazing. We want more. So we're like, all right, cool. Let's come back and do 2.0, you know? Um, and that's something that we have really grown into as well, uh, doing in the, in the community. And it's, it's been amazing. You know, it really has it. it you talk about like the self joy you get as an instructor with the kids, like, the amount, the amount of people that we feel like we've given like one or two little things that's just once again clicks and the amount of times that we've been in seminars and you know, whether it's me or whether it's Jimmy that I was talking to, cause Jimmy runs a lot of those cause I'm at the school. So he's taught probably 95% of those, those self-defense seminars, but the amount of people that, you know, after the seminars over the the crowd kind of dies down, like somebody comes up and is like, this really hit home. Like I needed this because I've had a situation that happened that I've really only told like my super inner circle and this hit home and it was hard and it was emotional, but this is what I needed because just doing this and being in this environment, like I feel like I can take my dog on a walk again. And I haven't done that in two years because I've been scared. And we're like, absolutely. Like this is, yeah, like let's go come back, do another one. It do the exact same thing again, 
But yeah, let's build on that. Like, let's be confident. Let's be strong. Let's live our life and know that, you know, if something happens that, you know, I got this, I know what to do. I'm, I'm a strong enough and an independent enough person. Like, let's go. Yeah. That knowledge. And it's so cool because you are going around Lawrence and you mentioned Baker and a couple other places that you can help people mitigate fear of being in danger, right? Giving them that knowledge. So what does a self-defense curriculum look like? And you don't have to, we don't have to zoom in and spoil your trade secrets. No, no. I mean, it's basics. It's basics. You know, it, we're big on fundamentals. Yes. You've got the, the big flashy, crazy stuff because yeah, you've got this small percentage of that, but you know, it's like, I tell, it's like, I tell my kids in class, I'm like, you know, we're working on sparring. I'm like, today we're gonna work on basics. They're like, Oh, but I've been sparring for five years. I'm like, cool. Well, LeBron James has been playing basketball for 20 years. And guess what he does? He still does dribbling drills. He still works on layups and he still shoots free throws. Why? Cause those are basics. And that that's what wins the game. Yeah. The, the three point shot from the logo is cool. And you know, all the, all the kids wearing the Steph Curry jerseys, that's all they want to do, but that's not what wins the basketball games. So when we do those things, we work on the basics. We work on the things that are most common. So we work on super simple, basic striking ways that you can stun somebody. That way you can create separation and go. We work on super basic breakaways of, you know, the most common grabs. So are we able to go over everything? Absolutely not. That's why we have second curriculums. That's why we tell people, if you have questions, come ask, but we go over the basic stuff. We go over the stuff that is the most common and you know, it's, it's not things that we feel are the most common or we feel are the most basic. It's from stats. Like we've obviously done our research uh, going back to, you know, Mr. Golden, Jimmy Golden, like he's done his research when this whole thing started, he reached out to multiple different people. And, you know, he, he sat down with some detectives and uh, like chief of police here in Lawrence. And he reached out to some other people and he's through like a mutual uh, family member, mutual friend. He was able to actually like get on the phone with like an FBI agent. And so he was just like, I just want to know, like from the stats, what's common so that we can attack that. Because there's no reason to attack this situation when we're looking at mass groups if this is a one percenter. What are the things that are happening a lot? Okay, this is something that we hear all the time. You know, you hear all the time of of people on jogs, people on runs, and somebody coming up and like bear hugging, grabbing them from behind to try to remove. That needs to be in our that needs to be in our seminar. That's something that needs to be talked about. So it's super basic things. We honestly, in an hour, hour and a half seminar, we teach five, maybe six things. And it's just basic, simple stuff. And we always try to relay it and practice it in a way that then those individuals could show it to somebody else because then they're, they're getting practice again. And, you know, if we have a seminar with 50 people and those 50 people all have a general concept and it's like, cool, I kind of know how to do this a little bit, but I also know how to show somebody else so we can practice what just happened. That 50 just became a hundred mm-hmm. because now those 50 people that weren't at our seminar yeah, maybe it's not as in depth. Maybe, you know, it's the telephone game. Maybe it wasn't said, but it's still in their head now, right? So we also try to relay everything that we teach in a way that somebody could go, hey, this is kind of what I what I learned. Do do this. We've literally had people like two days after a seminar call us and be like, hey, I went home and tried it with my husband and it didn't work. <laughs> what did I do wrong? And I'm like, <sighs> I explain. And we've actually invited people in and be like, just stop by the school. Let's go over it again. And that's happened. And they come out, they're like, oh, I was doing this. I'm like, cool. There's, we tell people all the time, self-defense, it's, it's, you know, it's not black and white. There's not a perfect way to do it. It just has to work. So we're like, okay, well, did this work? Well, yeah, but it's not exactly how you showed me. Well, did you get away? Well, yeah, then it worked. <laughs> you mentioned a realtor mm-hmm. and I hadn't thought about that, but it's so true yep. because they're in the house with strangers. And a lot of times, like if realtors showing, they're by themselves a lot of times. They're by themselves. And there could be multiple people that show up. There could be one person that shows up. So how much of self-defense training is situational awareness? A lot of it. Like I said, the the seminar that we teach for like realtors isn't the same teach the same seminar that we teach to like the community. You know, the community is like abroad where that, like I said, that is like, hey, we're gonna teach you a couple things that are good to know, but here are here are some things that have been brought to our attention. You know, you guys are in 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 the house by yourself. Okay. Let's talk about that. What are so every a lot of it is very situational. Sometimes depending on the group of people that we're talking about. If we go up to KU and we're talking to sororities, like we're going to bring up, like, hey, ladies, we get it. You're in college. You're going to enjoy life. Let's let's not go to the bar and then walk home a mile by ourselves in high heels 
stumbling a little bit like you know and it's one of those things like they always kind of like but we're like we got to say it because we just got to put it in your head Mm -hmm. you know you know it's like when we do our seminars we we always go over like just super basic things and we're like you know most of this is going to be common sense you're going to know this but let's be real we don't follow it like one of the things we tell people is like if you're walking don't have your head don't like have your head down texting and walking and everybody like that you're like well yeah that's pretty common knowledge you should look at where you're going and you know be aware of your surroundings but let's be real have you done it yeah. Have I done it? Yeah. When we do that seminar, probably everybody in that room has done it. Is everybody going to be perfect afterwards? No, but we're going to put it in your head. We're going to talk about it, you know, and we get pretty, we get pretty like gruesome or blunt or whatever word you want to use when we're doing some of these seminars. And we're like, everything we're going to talk about today is it's, we're going to use the word win, not if but we're going to use the word win, mm. when you get attacked. And some people are like, I really don't like that. I'm like, I don't like saying it either, but that's the way I have to portray it so that we are in a frame of mind that will prevent this. Mm-hmm. Cause I mean, everybody's heard it, you know, confidence is everything. If you just have the right frame of mind, believe it or not, a lot of times some of these things can be avoided because you're aware you're doing this. Now, sometimes they're not, you could do everything right and it's still just not go, uh, not go well. So we talk about those things and it's like, we just, we have to put it in your head and we have to talk about it this way because we want to do everything in our power to, make sure if something happens that you're ready and that you're good to go. And yeah, hopefully you came to this seminar and this is, this is a really bad way to put this, but hopefully you came to this seminar and it was a complete waste because nothing's ever going to happen to you. We hope that that's the case. We hope that today was a waste of time, quote unquote, air quotes, like we hope, but if it's not, we have to talk like this Mm -hmm. type of thing. Yeah. That's a good way to frame it because it helps people recognize the, importance of the knowledge and that we don't have a lot of time to study self-defense but the little time that we do have the little time that my company set this self-defense class up for i should listen yeah well and it's 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 crazy too because it's like you know stats constantly change they constantly change but you know your rough average of things and this is what really gets people and this is this is like once again i said this earlier like you know we understand obviously everybody gets attacked, but when you look at the stats, traditionally more attacks are on females. So the stat is one out of five females will be attacked some way, shape or form. Traditionally, it's some kind of sexual abuse or something like that. But the traditional stat is one out of five. So when we say that, and we've got a hundred, we've got a hundred people at the seminar. Like it's really, sometimes people think it's messed up, but we will literally set, we will literally point in the first row be like one, two, three, four, five, one of you, one, two, three, four, five, one of you. And all, they're all like opening their eyes. Like, man, that's kind of messed up. And like, Oh, and by the way, we live in Lawrence. KU college campus, that number's one in three. Mm. And they're all just like, whoa. So we go back to hopefully you're one of the four. Hopefully you're one of the, you know, the two. But that's the way we're going to talk today. Yeah. So be ready and be prepared, which is why a lot of our like our self our self-defense seminars, we we put an age limit on it because of the way we talk. And we're like, yeah, we'll do kids' seminars and we'll talk to them differently. But that's not this group today. Yeah. How do you talk about how do you talk to kids about bullying? Um, you know, it kind of depends on the age level and things like that. So, but I mean, a lot of it is, is about, you know, using your voice and using your body. And like I said, kind of said earlier, you know, we talk a lot about like the difference in between protecting yourself versus fighting. Cause you know, there's, there's this, I don't want to cliche, whatever you want to say of like, Oh, I'm being messed with. I have to fight. I mean, yeah, depending on how you look at it, but I look at it as now I'm protecting myself. Now, if protecting myself means that, you know, things get physical, yeah, but that's because I'm protecting myself. You know, going out and fighting is like, no, I'm going to go into this beating somebody up. Now, I'm protecting myself. Now, how, how far do I have to go to protect myself? Well, mm-hmm. yeah, I had to get pretty, I had to get pretty, pretty dirty about, well, I had to protect myself. But, you know, if I'm at an elementary school and I'm talking to kids, you know, we talk a lot about using your voice, what to say to get somebody's attention and what to say to get somebody's help. And, you know, and kind of putting that in their head. We talk about a lot about like putting your hands up, but keeping your hands open. You know, we talk a lot about how your body language can tell the people around you what you need, you know. So we'll do the whole like, you know, we'll practice like using their voice and putting their hands up. And then I'll use like a teacher and be like, and I'll grab like an example. I'm like, if Billy is picking on me on the playground and messing with me and I, I can put my hands up and I can be like, hey, stop, stop. I said, no, get back, stop. Teacher sees that. They know that, hey, I'm in, I'm in a position, I'm protecting myself, but I'm saying no. Where he shoves me, I get mad, I shove him back. I mean, you know, if I'm talking to a group of first graders, I'm like, now what happened? We both got in trouble. Where if I do this, 
they're going to get stopped. They're knowing I'm protecting myself and I'm doing the right thing. Mm. You know, so it's a it's it's a lot about using your using your voice, using your body to kind of like stop the situation and and then like I said, get the appropriate help that they need. You know, especially when we get into like the stranger side of things and you know, I tell kids, I'm like, you guys are little kids. Like, you know, as as awesome as you think you are and as athletic and all this, like if a full-grown adult grabs you, you're going to need help. So how do we get that help? Mm. That type of stuff. Would you say kids who spend a lot of time learning mixed martial arts are less likely to get in a fight in school or more likely to get in a fight at school? I think it's all depends on how it's portrayed. I would feel comfortable saying that my students are less likely because of the way that we portray it. And like I was saying, like the way we tell our students, like, yeah, you're using martial arts and here's all these things, you know, and yeah, you're learning a kick. And when we're in class, we're like, all right, guys, this kick, everybody say kick him in the face. And we say those things because that's the application side to what we're doing. But it's all based off of that second side of how it, how is it portrayed? you know, and making sure that they, that they understand what it is that they're learning and being able to have that split, but then also have that mutual ground of, yes, we're learning this for the sport side of things, but the sport gives us benefits in being able to defend ourselves versus saying, no, I'm just learning this so I can go beat somebody up. Mm -hmm. That's not what we're here for. Yeah. That type of thing. That dynamic of it being a sport is really important. And with the UFC, I hear people talk about that too. They'll be like, we're celebrating people beat people up, which at some point is true. But on the other side of the house, it's a sport that these people have dedicated years and years and years to master their craft. And my perspective would be the majority of individuals involved in that are going to be a lot less likely to enter random physical combat with a stranger because they actually know what happens, right? They know the consequences of violence and they know that very rarely does violence provide a constructive solution to a conflict. I know a lot of people aren't necessarily looking for a constructive solution when they start throwing hands, but it's good to know that on average, if a kid has self-defense knowledge, they're not going to panic as quicker and more than likely be less likely to enter into those physical confrontations. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So absolutely. And then, like I said, I mean, you know, with, with our guys, like we portray that, we make sure that they understand that, but we also tell them like, you know, the last thing that I want as a martial arts instructor teaching and having stuff, last thing I want is to have, you know, this 14 year old kid. That's a black belt with me that I heard is at school. And like, yeah, they got in a situation. Oh, well, what happened? Well, well, they got, they got beat up pretty bad. Why? Well, they weren't doing anything. Now I'm going to tell my guys, Hey, you know what to do, but if we get to that line, you protect yourself. That's where yeah, you fight back mm-hmm. because you do have these skills. And at that point you've learned them for a reason, haven't you? So yeah, our goal dissipate and Hey, stop, stop. And you see it all the time. You'll see videos of, you know, you brought up UFC. I see videos all the time of people like messing with UFC fighters and they're always like, stop, no, no, mm-hmm. no, stop. And then what happens? It gets to a point of no return. And then like, all right, they took care of business. You know, we tell our guys like, you know, somebody bumps into the hallway, like you don't immediately need to go into, you know, giving them a six piece chicken nugget. <laughs> you don't need to do that. Dissipate the situation. But if you get to that point, like, yeah, there is an expectation that you need to handle yourself because you do have this training. And like I said, the last thing I want is for me to have to hold an ice pack on one of my black belts face because, you know, they put their hands up, they did all the right things in the beginning, but then they just stood there and it was like, well, I know all this stuff, but I can't fight. No, no, no. You pro- and that's where I said earlier, you understand the difference of protecting yourself and fighting, but sometimes to protect yourself, you have to fight. Mm-hmm. It's a fine line. And some people, it makes a lot of sense right away. And you're like, yeah, no, that's, I, yeah, yeah. And some people, it's a lot more gray and it needs more explanation. But, you know, we, we're, so it's weird because we're big on both sides. Like, no, you don't fight. Like, you're not going to go get in a fight. You're not going to get in a brawls. You're not going to do those things. You're going to protect yourself. And protecting yourself means that you're dissipating. You're trying not to even get to that situation first. But yeah, you get to a point, here we go. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like when we teach these, uh, these self-defense seminars and things like that. We tell them all the time, it's like, you know, yeah, your goal is to get away. But if you've got to fight, if you've got to do things, if they've got you wrapped up behind, like, I want you swinging your elbows as hard as you can to break the homeboy's rib, break his rib, puncture his lung. And everybody's like, really? And I'm like, yeah, because think about the kids that you need to go home to. They're like, oh, yeah, 
yeah, break his ribs. Yeah, punctured that lung. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, we're here to protect ourselves, but in protecting ourselves, sometimes that escalates into, no, you're fighting. And sometimes you're fighting for your life, right? So somebody may be listening to this and they don't have the opportunity to attend a self-defense class that you or somebody else is teaching. So what would you say to them as a broad instruction of self-defense? Yeah, I mean, going back to what I said earlier, in a, you know, a perfect world, which we do not live in a perfect world by any means, perfect world is, you know, there's a lot of things that you can just do to prevent things. And a lot of it is self-awareness. You know, you hear it all the time, you know, eyes up, look around, do these things, be aware of your surroundings, makes, you know, smart decisions, things like that. But, you know, sometimes you do just need to have a conversation and ask questions because situations happen, different things, this, this, this. Um, like, I mean, it's not like as much of a self-defense thing, but you know, one thing that was really big there for a while is when people were filling up their cars, you'd be standing at the pump and then somebody would run up, go to the passenger door, open the door and take everything you can. Cause they've got plenty of time. So it's super simple. It's like, Hey, when you do that, just, you know, lock your car, protect your belongings, protect your kid. You got a kid in the back seat in the car seat that's on the other side of the car. So a lot of it, a lot of it is awareness and things like that. But yeah, I mean, if you have questions like sometimes just having a conversation with somebody that has some experience, has some knowledge and can just put something in your head and give you that uh, moment. Sometimes those are what feed you. Cause then you're like something, something hits and something makes sense. And you're like, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, Cause you know, I've been doing martial arts and I've, I've been doing all of this and I'm, I'm over 20 years now and I still need to have, I still have questions. I still have, it's like you said earlier, it's perfecting an art that can never be perfected. Mm-hmm. You know, you can just continue to gain knowledge. You can continue to do things. So I, I said earlier, it's like, you know, like the brain surgeon, once that brain surgeon gets a degree, do they know everything? No, they're still going to conferences. They're still learning. They're still learning new techniques and new things. And they're still building on their craft. It's the same concept. You know, it's like, I was, I was having a conversation with a guy the other day uh, about something and he's like, Hey, it's the same thing. He's like, you might be able to start and great gain this knowledge. And that's awesome. But I've been doing it for 20 years. So why not uh, let me help you on that journey instead of you trying to do it by yourself? Because I know all the mistakes and I know all the things and I can just kind of teach you along the way. Yeah. I'm like, Tell me about the moment you got your black belt. Uh, December or not December because 12, uh, August 12th of 2004. Yeah. So, I mean, it was crazy. It was, uh, it was just before my 13th birthday, been going for a couple years on that. And yeah, I just, I mean, I remember it, the, at that time, the school that I was at was relatively new. So I was actually one of the higher ranks. So inside that school, there was, there was a couple other people that had gotten their black belts, but they didn't get it at that school. They had got it previously. Um, and then they were there. So I was the first person to like get their black belt inside, inside that school. So it was kind of a big deal. I still, you know, I still kind of hold that to this day. I mean, like, you know, I was, yeah. Um, wasn't the first black belt, but I was the first one to get my black belt in that school, if that makes sense. Did you knew you were getting it? Mm-hmm. So I knew I was testing for it. So it had been, obviously, you know, I'd gone through all the ranks. I'd gotten the last rank before my black belt testing. So there was, there was a six month period where I had to go through all of these things and kind of like all this like prerequisite type stuff. And it was like, all right, here's the day today you're testing. So, and it was one of those that, you know, I tested, I did everything. I felt, I felt awesome about it. And because of the situation, it was one of those, I didn't have to necessarily wait a whole lot for the results. The judges just kind of disappeared for a while and talked about everything. And they actually came out and presented me with my belt the same day, which was really cool. So, yeah, I mean, like I said, I, I still remember it. I, I know exactly where it was at. I know exactly what building it was in all of that. Cause I mean, it was here in Lawrence. Um, I mean, I still, obviously I, I would hope anybody that has ever received a black belt in any style of martial arts still has the belt, but you know, I still have it. It obviously doesn't fit anymore. That was many years ago. Still remember what I did. Still remember what form I did. Still remember what weapon I did. I still remember what my board breaks. Um, so at that point, um, I mean, there was a group of like me and a lot of my really, like me and my mom and a lot of like the, like the close, uh, close friends that I had that were there watching me test that day. Like after it got over, we just all went, uh, we went and had dinner, kind of celebrated the whole thing. And then, you know, at that point it was kind of a a flip right away of like, what's next? Ooh, now I got my black belt. There's all this, there's this whole new world that I don't know about, you know, that I get to start doing and get to start being a part of now. When do I get to start that? And so I was just immediately ready for next week because I was like, I, I get to go to black belt class now. You know, I get to go train with, I get to go train with the big boys now. Like I was just immediate. So it was like, we celebrated it, but I was immediately like, I want to do, do the next stuff now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it took you what, like six years? Um, It took me about three and a half. Three and a half. Okay. Yeah. Which 
is a, a you know looking at it now and things like that it took me about three and a half which is a little quicker than what it takes now because some things you know just you know some things have changed some things have modernized and stuff like that some things have been added to the curriculum so um but yeah it took me about three and a half years to go from from the day i started to the day i got my black belt and nowadays on average how long does it take uh with us it's it's four a little over four and that's you know that's if somebody if nothing goes wrong quote unquote you know if somebody's training they're staying active they're doing their thing they're doing what they're supposed to they're coming to class they're working hard they're getting their stuff they're being successful you're between four and four and a half years so nothing too crazy nothing too crazy it's not like it was like three and now it takes eight but that's kind of what it is because there's different there's different levels there's different degrees of black belt so you see it all the time you see like oh that person's a fifth degree oh that person's this so that's how long it takes to get your first degree so and then there's times then there's a timeline between first degree and second degree second degree and third degree so on and and things like that so how many degrees can you get so this is one of those that's kind of like a tricky question so there are nine degrees of black belt there's nine there's ninth degree but the ninth degree black belt represents what's classified as grandmaster so and traditionally like that's the head of you know the organization or the style or whatever that you do so there are nine degrees but traditionally i mean if you dedicate your life to it traditionally eight uh, eighth degree is where you're going to go up to do you have any are you eighth degree i'm not i'm a fifth degree wow yeah i'm a fifth degree do you want to be eighth degree you know i don't know that's so far like down the road right now i'm just kind of focusing on you know what I'm doing now teaching, you know, I still have a couple of years before I'm even eligible to test for my sixth degree. And that's not saying that it will happen right there, but that's just when my, my like eligibility is even up. So fifth degree was always a big one. Sixth degree is really important because once you get your sixth degree, that's when you can also go through the mastership training and you can get the title of master. Whoa. Yeah. So uh, there's so many things that would be on the list before that, that have to be worked for. Cause like I said, I'm a couple years away from even being eligible for sixth degree. And then, uh, you know, I'd have, I would have a year, um, between that if I'm successful then and being able to go for my mastership and then be, and then earning the title of master and things like that. And there's a lot that goes into all of that, um, which I only know probably 10% of because, well, I've never done it. So I just know what I've seen and what I've heard. So, you know, I've got, I've got a lot of things that are there first and, you know, even from where I'm at, somebody that's been doing it for over 20 years to that mark, like that's so far away. (laughs) <laughs> so because i mean even from now to then that's probably another if life was perfect that's probably another 18 to 20 years down the road and then you could be like master splinter <laughs> as long as i've got my ninja turtles to help me out by that point <laughs> that would be awesome now how often are you presenting black belts and what's that process like so at our school we will host a black belt testing every quarter so, but that doesn't necessarily mean that we have somebody because, um, you know, we're hosting a testing. So we might have one or two people that are eligible to test for first degree. We might have one or two people that are eligible to test for second degree, you know, cause you have those timelines and things like that. We've had testings where it's like, Hey guys, it's a big testing. We have, you know, we have three testing for third. We have two testing for second. We have one testing for third degree. You know, we got six people testing the cycle and then we'll have the next one. Where we're like, yeah, we have one. We got one. That, that's just where we're at, you know, because every when you get to that point, everybody, everybody's journey is a little different. You know, everybody's got to go through certain things. You've got to be ready. You've got, you know, there's just there's for lack of a better way to put it. There's a checklist of things you've got to you've got to done be, be done be, with before you can test. So so we we have a testing every quarter, but it just depends on who's where and what and all those types of things. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And with attendance and if something comes up and they're not able to meet that attendance mark, then exactly. Yeah. And you know, when you're going from first and second, there's, there's different things you have to do. And like, there's, we, we have what we call midterms. So, you know, once you get your first degree, you have to midterm and show us that you're improving and show us that you know your material and you have to do that a certain amount of times and you have to pass your midterms. So somebody might be like, Hey, yeah, I've been a first degree long enough, but I'm still short a midterm. So I've got to still pass another midterm before I can test for my next belt. Um, And some people might be like, yeah, actually I've been awesome. You know, I've got all my midterms, but I'm still waiting on my time. You know, right. I haven't, I haven't, I haven't met my required amount of time as a first degree yet. So I've done this side of things. I still have to learn this and then I got to put in my time. So how do you keep track of all this for every person? Oh, uh, we have a, a software. Yeah. There's a software that just does all of it. So, I mean, it, it's obviously a lot of work. You got to put it in, you got to do this, you've got to track all this kind of stuff. But then it's one of those, like I can go through and be like, all right, these guys are being promoted to the next step. And then it just kind of updates it and it just lists it all out for me. So that way I can see where everybody's at. 
and kind of just kind of track everything. And then, you know, somebody can sit down with me and say, Hey, you know, been a first degree for, you know, a year and a half kind of, uh, you know, I want to start thinking about it. I know it's getting closer and we can break it down and say, okay, these are all the things that you've got left. Your earliest projection is nine months from now. So in nine months, if you do all of these things, you could test for your secondary. And they're like, awesome, cool. And then it's goals. And we have these timelines and people kind of know. And it's funny because we'll have some people that'll be like, that'll like map it out. And they're like, if everything goes perfect, I can be a second degree by here, third degree by here and a fourth degree by here. And we're like, that's awesome. Love it. You know, that's obviously, you know, long-term goals and, you know, they know what they have to do and they know they have to do these things. And, you know, sometimes it goes that way and sometimes it doesn't, Yeah. you know? Right. And that's incredible to think about. You have students who are planning for their several degrees within the black belt. Yep. Golly. Do you think that at the end of all of this, do you think that you want to have your own school one day? You know, I don't know. Um, I've had the opportunity. I don't, I don't know if that's necessarily a thing. I, I really enjoy kind of the, like, you know, <laughs> I enjoy the position that I'm in mm-hmm. that I really like having somebody that I can go to and get help when I need it, you know? And even if I did that, like my instructor, like Jimmy Golden, he would always do that. But being more like super directly under him, it's, it's really nice to, for to know that I've got the trust in him to run things and do things, but it's really nice to, to have him always in my back pocket, have him right there. And, you know, it's one of those things too, like I've, I've been around what I'm doing long enough and I really enjoy it. And I really enjoy kind of what we have got built and what we've got rolling and, you know, not to use the term, like, you know, I like kind of riding the coattails cause that's obviously not a hundred percent the case, but you know, I, I, I'm really proud of what's, what we've got going at prime and what we've got going here in Lawrence and things like that. And I feel like I've been a big part of it. So I know that with what we've got, we can continue our success. We can continue doing everything we've that we're that we're doing, and everybody be like good and happy and yeah, yeah. So I don't know. I don't know if that steps ever in my future. To be to be honest, I mean, never say never. But the opportunity has presented itself, and I've turned it down to continue doing what I'm doing because I do enjoy it so much. That's awesome, man. And I love what you're doing for the city because martial arts may not seem as accessible as basketball or soccer because as a little boy or a little girl, there's the basketballs and the soccer balls and the footballs all around you. Yeah. And then you see the Jackie Chan movie and you're like, whoa, that's awesome. But where do I start? Exactly. How do I start? Yeah. And that's like earlier when we were talking about like with me when I started, like I had that concept where it was in my face, like it was a basketball to me. It was a football to me. It was a baseball bat to me because I saw it on a daily basis mm-hmm. and things like that. You know, I'd go down to, you know, the, the, the house I grew up in, I'd go down in the basement and there's a punching bag down there, but I didn't have a basketball goal in my driveway. Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? So, exactly. yeah. So no, you're, you're a hundred percent right on that. And it's, I actually, t- when I'm sitting down with like a parent, that's like their kid just started and things like that. I'm like, Hey, I want you to know, like, if you have questions and I actually say this, I'm like, if you have questions, like, don't hesitate. Like, I understand Unless you have like some kind of experience in martial arts, this is kind of a foreign world. You know, it's not basketball where you're going to sign your kid up and be like, all right, they're going to learn how to dribble. Hopefully they're going to learn, they're going to learn how to shoot, play some defense. And then, you know, we'll probably have some games on Saturdays where the score will be eight to six, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, cause that's, that's a start. Let's be real. And it grows from there. So I tell people like, if you have questions, like we get it, like we're going to do everything in our pot in our power to, to map it out and lay it out for you because we understand that this isn't as a, a widely known world but we're here. Like that's, that's why we're here is to help everybody because for your kid to be successful, you got to kind of know what's going on as well because yeah, I'm going to teach and I'm going to do my thing, but you're a part of that success as well. You're the educator. So you have to relay the knowledge and your vision that you have. It requires everybody, right? The family, the student in order to get to those highest levels in order to get to that place to where, the kid can identify with this and they find community there. Yep. Uh, and your place is a big part of community for a lot of kids. Yeah. A lot of kids make friends there. Absolutely. I mean, so, I mean, if you look us up, like it's like, you know, we're prime martial arts. That's yeah. what we are. And you know, people ask all the time. Um, but you know, as soon as you get inside the school, you'll notice that a lot of times it's team prime because yeah, we are prime martial arts. That's what we do. We're, we're prime martial arts. We teach martial arts, all those things. But like, once you're there, you're, you're part of team prime. Mm-hmm. You know, that's who we are. We're team prime. And whether it's the student that's been with us for 11 years, you know, that's a second, third degree black belt competes all the time or the nine year old white belt that signed up last Wednesday. Yeah. We're on the same team now. Team prime. We're on the same team. Now, 
this person might be doing different things than you are, but our, our goal to be successful martial artists is the same. And that's the beauty behind martial arts is, you know, martial arts is an individual sport, but it has the team concept, you know, and, and earlier when we were talking about the tournament, I'm going to uh, next weekend, like we do have the concept once you get to a certain level where you can be on a team and you can do certain things, but you know, to get to that point, you've got to have, you would have had to have worked as an individual to even be able to get that, but you're working as an individual with your team. Yeah. You know, where you go play a football game, you could be perfect, but if the three people standing next to you don't do their job, you lost, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. It's that it's like track and field, right? It's yeah. like you can win your event, but if the shot putt guy doesn't show up, then your team's not going to get the medal. Exactly. Yeah. I won my individual. Well, how'd your team do? Well, we got last. Why? Because I'm the only one that got a medal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And I can sense your passion too. And that's the cool part because the best teachers I've ever had, they've always been passionate about what they're teaching. And people can tell, they can sense it. It's like a shark with blood in the water. They know their ability to see through whether or not people are just have a veneer of pretending to like this stuff or whether they actually like it. And I can tell that you actually like it. You have the passion there. Thanks for being here. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. This was awesome. Yeah. I love learning about martial arts. I'm going to Go watch the UFC, and <laughs> if there's a move that I'm curious about, I'm gonna hit you up. Absolutely. Well, and I'll have to uh, I'll have to invite you out because we uh, we're gonna be having a tournament here in Lawrence in April. I would love so to I'll go. Have to, I'll have Please. to I'll have to hit you up and give you the info so you can come out and watch uh you know watch some ten year olds do some stuff that you thought might be impossible. So Will I see you in action. Uh, there's still there's a chance. Um, it, uh, will kind of depend on one of those ones, uh, since, you know, since we are hosting, it'll kind of depend on if, yeah. you know, what the competition looks like it and where is it more important for me to be that day? <laughs> is it more important for me to be in the ring or is it more important for me to, you know, make sure we put on a great tournament and make sure that my students are neat, get what they need and they are successful and things like that. So I predict it'll be the latter, but yes, we'll see. There might be a chance. There might be a chance. We'll, we'll see. So perfect. All right, folks, we'll see you next time. Awesome. Thank you.